A successful retirement plan begins with assembling the right set of tools. Finding the proper ones for the job will allow you to drill down on your goals and nail down your future. Scott Searles, certified wealth strategist and owner of Skybox Financial Group, constructs retirement plans for clients every day and will share that knowledge and insight with you. It's time to open the retirement toolbox and get to work. Hey, hey, it's another edition of the Retirement Toolbox. Walter Sterholt alongside Scott Searles, financial advisor, president at Skybox Financial Group. You can find him in the greater Cleveland area most of the time, but down in Bradenton, Florida at the office there occasionally as well. Always online at skyboxfinancialgroup.com. Today we're going to be talking about retirement and divorce. Tough, tough, tough topic. But before we dive into those, uh, you know, really important and dynamic uh, elements of that conversation, uh, let's just find out how Mr. Scott is doing. What's going on in your world, Scott? Scott Searles is doing good. It, it's <laughs> like that Kevin Hart, those Kevin Hart commercials where he always talks in the third person. The third person, yeah. 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 Exactly. Scott Searles is doing good. Scott Searles is enjoying summer. I like that. Have you ever known someone who talks about themselves in the third person, like legitimately, not just as a joke? I No, I've never yeah. ran across anybody. Have you? Uh, one person. I've known one person who very consistently talked about themselves in the third person. Definitely bizarre. Just sure. say their first name, like, you know, like Scott thinks that's a stupid idea or something. Yeah, pretty much. That's how, okay. it, that's, that's how it always came out. It was, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be, that would be odd. Scott likes pizza. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't make Scott upset. Uh, All right, yeah. so should we try to do the whole podcast in the third person? Yes, I, I think we. No, it's, it's an important. I don't know if I could do it. It's I an important topic today. We, we, it we, is. We should, it we should is. try that on a different topic. Yeah, yeah. This is. But are all of our topics important though? Well, they are. Today's is more serious, I guess. Scott right? thinks this is a serious conversation. <laughs> It's like Simon says in, in, in a little, <laughs> little bit of a way there. Oh, man. Yeah. That's too good. I don't think you'd be able to keep it up either. I think that would No, be I, would, I, would, I would mess it up. Yep, yep. See, I already uh, did. See, Scott would mess it Scott, up. Scott, Scott messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Rita, bear with us, please, because we got a great question from Rita later on in the show today as well. And uh, Rita's never had a financial advisor, and so she's uh, worried or curious about, like, why would I need one if I've made it all the way to 61? Why do I need one as well? So we'll answer Rita's question a little bit later as well. All right, so uh, Walter and Scott will stop talking about themselves in the third person now, and uh, let's get into our retirement and divorce discussion today. Serious topic. So going through divorce at any age, going to be difficult, Scott, but doing it near or even in retirement, which is becoming unfortunately more common these days, mm -hmm. adds all sorts of additional complications. And so on this episode, we're going to talk about some of the financial mistakes that we see people make in the midst of a divorce. And in particular, if you're getting closer to retirement, Scott will bring that kind of angle to the question and to this yeah. analysis as well. Uh, first of all, Scott, before we even kind of get into these these tips or these mistakes, I mean, you've seen it anecdotally, I'm sure, in your office. Uh, are you seeing more clients going through divorce or coming to you in that situation? Yeah, I actually have. And I've had a couple people referred to me from, from clients that why they were in the middle of divorce. Uh, I think all of them have been the wife uh, in the, in the partnership and, uh, you know, which creates even more challenges sometimes because, you know, sometimes the spouse, you know, she had 
might have taken years off from not working and didn't quite have as much money saved up in her retirement accounts. And, you know, it becomes, it's a little bit more challenging sometimes, I think, for the woman in a, in a, in a divorce because maybe they didn't necessarily have the resources or a lot of the times too, uh, you know, depending on the relationship, sometimes the, you know, one partner or the other would always deal with all this financial stuff. So not only do you have to go through the divorce and making sure you're good financially, sometimes you have to learn some new skills too. Mm, and that can be a challenge. Uh, you're already going through something that's really emotional, really difficult, and now you're being asked to <laughs> learn new stuff and uncover right. new skills and routines and all those kinds of things. And I've never use... paid the gas bill before. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I had one gentleman, actually, now that I think about it, he his wife died and his wife handled everything. He was not even sure what accounts they had, how to get in them. Yeah, so that's kind of a word to the wise from the, in the from a prep standpoint. And I encourage all my clients to do this: is you'll come jointly to all the meetings together. Make sure you share everything together. Everybody knows all the accounts you have because you never know when you hit by a bus it's or a get point. divorced. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And uh, there is some certain crossover between maybe death of a spouse and going through a divorce in terms of that preparation, I would imagine, and maybe even some of these mistakes. But today we'll specifically focus on the retirement and divorce angle of that equation. So uh, we've got four specific mistakes to give you on the show today, and we'll break these down. First one, Scott, is choosing the house over other financial assets. Is that just kind of out of convenience sometimes? It's just easy to say, all right, well, I'll take the house and then you take X, Y, and Z? Well, I think it's not only out of, of convenience, but also I think security. Because you have the house, you know you always, no matter what, have a place to stay, that you don't need to worry about that. But what some people don't realize is, you know, first of all, you don't want to shortcut some of your assets too to make sure you can fund a retirement later on. But also, as we all know, owning a home comes with a lot of expenses. And you have to count into your budget, which increases the amount of money you're going to need every every month. So that's something you certainly need to consider. And some people simply go for that security or that convenience and say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to grab the house. And then, you know, you take that out of my share and then you end up kind of shortcutting yourself a little bit as far as liquid assets you have available. Because, you know, you never know exactly, you know, where house values are going to go. Not that you necessarily know where you're you know, your investment portfolio is going to go. But at least, you know, with cash and bank accounts, you know, that's rather stable. You can always count on that. The house value, you know, we've seen house prices shooting up, but, you know, they could very easily come down as we've seen before, just as quickly as they went up. And it's not a liquid asset. So you, you just have to be careful and you have to think through it financially and see if that makes the most sense. That's fantastic, and um, I think that's a really good reminder to look at those things a little bit more in depth. So uh, just be wary of choosing the house over other financial assets. Make sure you take a deeper look at that. I guess kind of just kind of piggybacking off of that in terms of looking deeper, we could look at the tax situation that you go through when you have a divorce, especially if you're getting closer to retirement. This is important. A lot of people make the mistake of just kind of ignoring those tax implications of various retirement funds. I guess this is where you could have like an IRA, two, two IRAs, but one's a Roth and they're the same amounts. And if you're not savvy, you know, there's a big difference between selecting one over the other. Yeah. And I think sometimes in a divorce, uh, I've seen this before. I, I had one woman that came in a referral that was getting divorced and they were, she was, she came in to see me early in the process. 
So I helped and gave her some different ideas. He had the majority of his assets was in his retirement plan at work. And I said to her that you need to be careful because you're not 59 and a half yet. Now there are some, you know, different things that I'll talk about later, different, I guess you could say rules that you can apply. But the reality is, is that, you know, this is not going to help you pay your monthly bills. If you take all retirement plan money, because that money you get, you'll have ten percent early withdrawal penalties. You have to pay taxes on it, and you know the IRS owns a portion. Well, the government has a lien on that money, basically about a, a it's called a third between state, local, and federal taxes, depending on where you live. And that that money's not yours. So if you, you know they say they're going to give you two hundred thousand dollars, well, you probably only have maybe one hundred and forty thousand you can actually use. So you have to take that into account when you're talking about retirement accounts. And like you said, Roth IRA money, tax-free, but you can't use that to your 59 and a half too. So another consideration when you're trying to, to divvy up these assets and think about what is going to be fair for yourself. Another great point, Scott. And it uh, takes us to tip number three, or mistake number three, rather, that we see people make financial mistakes when going through a divorce, especially with retirement considerations. And that would be doing a rollover. So rolling a spouse's retirement account directly into an IRA immediately after a divorce. Now, people will make this mistake with an IRA at any point in time, but why during a divorce do people often make this mistake? Well, I think it's just simply that people don't have the guidance and don't know the rules because, yes, you do want to roll that IRA over into another IRA to avoid any sort of tax implications that could be involved there. You don't want to have to pay taxes on the whole IRA. But what most people don't realize is that you have a one-time opportunity when you are actually rolling over that IRA to take a withdrawal out and avoid the 10% penalty. So if indeed you have a a couple where almost all their money's in retirement assets and, and they're getting a divorce and one of the spouses need to have some money that they can use that's not going to always be taxable and subject to that 10% penalty, you can move that money out before you roll that account over but the key here is that it needs to be in the Qualified Domestic Relations Order, the CUDRO. So that needs to be in the document ahead of time that you know, you're going to take $20,000 out. Then you can take that out and not have to pay the 10% penalty on that portion when you do it. And it's something that people don't even know that exists. And sometimes some of the attorneys don't either or didn't think about that. So that's a way you can kind of get around uh, that 10% penalty if the majority of those assets are in retirement accounts. Another great point, Scott. And one more retirement and divorce mistake that we see allowing, and this one really bleeds into all of these other mistakes, it just heightens them perhaps, would be allowing emotions to cloud your decision making. Uh, basically, one of the most stressful things you can go through in life would be a divorce. Money and, and dealing with those decisions is just as stressful, you know, all on its own, Scott. When you collide the two, you're creating all sorts of issues and additional potential mistakes to pop up. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, emotions cloud your decisions in so many things that we do, right? Whether it's divorce or, you know, just about anything, emotions always seem to cloud your judgment sometimes. But when it comes to divorce, you need to make sure that you 
have some people to lean on and some other people that can help to get some of that emotion out of the decision. Just like with I do, what, what I do with clients that come in to see me is, yes, emotion is a big part of it. But then we take a look at just the numbers and the financial aspect of it with the emotion out of the way. Because, you know, sometimes people will come in and they'll be like, you know, that SOB, I just want to, you know, screw him or her. And, you know, that that's kind of their attitude. And you, you have to kind of take a step back and look at the numbers and make sure you're doing what's right for you, not necessarily trying to take advantage of the other person, which happens a lot in divorce. It's unfortunate when it does, but you are exactly right, Scott. So if somebody is going through a divorce, Scott, or has been through a divorce, um, does the planning process look any different? What are some first steps those kinds of folks uh, who are going through that could take right now uh, to put themselves in a better position going forward? And, And what would your process look like in working with someone going through that? Yeah. Well, you know what, Walter, when when somebody comes into our office, when you're starting to go through this divorce, the first thing you need to figure out is, you know, your new monthly budget, how much money you're going to need, you know, whether if you're keeping the house, how much you're going to have to pay in maintenance. If you're not, how much you have to pay in rent. Just get an idea of what you're going to need from a monthly standpoint. Then we can start to work in some of the other things, saying how much money would you need? Are you going to work? How old are you? A lot of factors go in there. And kind of develop that strategy then to kind of get to where you need to be financially and make sure you've got a mixture of the different types of tax buckets if possible, taxable, tax-free, and tax-deferred or tax-later like IRAs. Because that type of money you can use in different spots in your life. And the other thing a lot of people don't think about, too, is now all of a sudden, if you're not married anymore, now you're filing as a single taxpayer, which means the brackets are tighter, they're smaller, and your tax rate creeps up quicker. So it's another consideration there when, when you're taking a look. So develop, what we would do is develop that whole plan from A to Z to you know, figure out how much you need, where's it going to come from, and then... If it's early enough in the process, then I can help them with an idea to go to their attorney with what they need to be able to live on. That's fantastic. And also very helpful, Scott, to get that perspective of what the process would look like. And if you would like to get in touch and set up that time to visit, you're going through a divorce uh, or have been through one recently, not sure if you are making or have made the right decisions with your finances, all you have to do to get in touch with Scott is go to talktoscott.com and you can schedule a free consultation and go through this tough conversation, go through these issues uh, with a professional and somebody who can take you through these important steps that you need to take. Talktoscott.com is the place to go or call 888-742-0111. That's 888-742-0111. Or again, talktoscott.com. And we'll put links in the description of today's show so you can find that contact info very easily. Well, that's our topic today, retirement and divorce, but the show is not over. We've still got a question from Rita. And up next, we're going to get to know Scott a little bit better. It's getting to know you time. And our getting to know you question on today's episode is a good one. Uh, Scott, what language do you wish you could speak? Well, this is a fun one, but I I would say Scott wishes he would be able to speak Chinese. (laughs) Um, Chinese, why? Ooh, interesting. Well, 
Well, you know, all right. So this is kind of weird. Like but Chinese, I always thought uh, or it'd man- be- Mandarin or Chinese. Well, or we're getting too specific now. Yeah, we're getting kind of specific. Okay. But you know, I think what, Mandarin. What dialect, harder- Scott? What Scott? What yeah. dialect does Scott want to speak in? <laughs> yes, yeah, Scott wants to speak. Uh, but I always thought it would be it, it would be neat to be able to you know go into a Chinese restaurant you know and be able to yes. read the menu and, and give speak me the give language. me the real menu. That's the thing you got to do. Like give me give me no 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 give me the real menu, not the uh, not the American menu, but give me the real one. Exactly, and and. You know, there's not many languages I really run across that much living in northeastern Ohio that often. Uh, obviously, you know, Spanish is, is very uh, relevant in the United States, too. There's a lot of Americans that speak Spanish, probably the second biggest language, I would think, behind English. Uh, so that would probably be more useful living in the United States, but probably not as fun as Chinese. Plus, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. And and I know it's it's hard language, too. I mean, they don't even, uh, you know, I, I, if I believe so, I mean, it's a different difference between being able to write it and speak it. Because writing Chinese, I believe, is super, super difficult. Yes, uh, that's very true. I, I had a friend who took uh, Japanese in college. Okay. And, yeah, he was like, it's it's kind of like learning two languages which is definitely interesting to think about. Um, I find language fascinating. I wish my brain worked in a way that could learn multiple languages. Like it was kind of all I could do. I took a little bit of German when I was in high school, early part of high school, but then switched to Spanish after two years of that. And it was all I could do to really get enough credits in college to kind of, you know, satisfy those language requirements. It was, Mm -hmm. I felt like I, I wasn't a bad student at it, but I really felt like I was taxing my brain just to kind of pass the tests and really, really use it. And definitely have, I think, lost a good bit of it. Well, I always think it's amazing that, that other countries outside the United States, how these kids, you know, they're taught these two languages, English and usually English in their native language, right? From, you know, grade school on. And these kids, you know, when they become adults are least can understand English yeah for the mo- most impressive. part because yeah it's it, it is impressive and I wish our schools did that it would be you know it would be great to be able to make it common that we would speak two English I mean two languages but with English being probably the most dominant language in the world from a business standpoint and a communication standpoint and maybe we're pompous we feel we don't need to know any other ones I don't know yeah, I'm not sure, but uh, it is interesting to, uh, to to look at that. I remember in, I think it was maybe ninth grade, there was this uh, this Swedish exchange student that was sitting next to me, and he spoke, we were in speech and debate class, and he was you know only there for a semester, and his English was just incredibly clear and precise, an excellent vocabulary. I was like, okay, so you speak better English than almost everybody in this class. That's... <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Plus, you have like, and that was not the only language he spoke. I think he spoke five languages. That's crazy. And and it was ninth grade, so I I wonder where that guy is today. Probably doing something really important somewhere. Probably. Yeah, most likely. Uh, Well, very cool. So we've got some Chinese, and yeah, I don't know. I think it would be fun. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to earn some brownie points with with my wife. So her family is Vietnamese, so I would say I'd like to learn Vietnamese so I could communicate better with with her family and also know what they're really saying about me behind my back and under their so, breath. <laughs> well, that makes sense. You've got a reason. 
I, I, if only I had the time, I, I really should go and learn. And then one day, just like when they're saying something and, and then they say, you know, they switch to Vietnamese to say something and I can be like, yeah, I understood that. And then just They'd be really, like, wow, Walter. Really, really catch them, blow their minds. Yeah. But you know, it, I mean, how much different are all the Asian languages? Because at least to me, being a layman, they sound all very similar, right? Whether it's Vietnamese, Japanese, Mandarin, Chinese, you know, is there a huge, huge difference? Can you cross over? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it's like easier to learn three or four Asian languages, maybe because they're closer versus trying to learn like French, German, English, and, you know, something else. Like, yeah, that's what is I'm that saying. more difficult? Like, do they build off of each? Like, I've heard Italian and Spanish, you know, are kind of similar and built off of each other. So they're pretty easy to learn together. I remember somebody who spoke both telling me that at one point in time. So yeah, do you get that in the Asian languages? I don't know. Be a good question to ask. I don't know. If any of our listeners know, tell us. Go to go to skyboxfinancialgroup.com. If we have any language experts out there, it'd be fun to hear from you. Let us know. Yeah, is Absolutely. it easier to learn one group of languages versus another because of, you know, how closely they're related? That'd be very interesting to find out. Uh, well, there you go. Getting to know Scott a little bit better on today's show. And now we'll carry it into our closing segment. A great question from Rita. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. So here is Rita's question. She says, I am 61 years old and have never had a financial advisor. If I've made it this far on my own, surely I can make it the rest of the way, right? Well, Rita, maybe. How is that for you? Um, you know, the big thing when it comes to retirement planning, or really, if you look at your whole financial life as a mountain, when you're young and you're accumulating and you're saving money, it's rather easy. You save money in your 401k plan, your retirement plan at work, you put some money in the bank, you start accumulating, you invest. Investing's rather easy because you're investing for growth longer term, you can handle market volatility, and you just keep socking money away. You reach 61 years old now and you're getting close to retirement. But when you get into the phases before retirement and after retirement, things get ultimately more complicated. This isn't your grandfather's or father's retirement anymore, where you had a pension and Social Security, and that's what you had, and that's what you lived off of with some savings. Now you have to worry about taxes, investing, income distribution, all these other factors now that come into play to make things much, much, much more difficult than when you're in the accumulation phase. So most people right around your age, Rita, is when they actually engage a financial advisor for the first time. Because you're getting to that point where things are going to get complicated. You don't want to make mistakes. How do you roll these funds over? How do I invest them so I can generate an income and not lose my money? How do I minimize taxes over my lifetime? How do I make sure that I pass those assets to my kids without Uncle Sam taking a big chunk? Much, much more complicated than a lot of other things to think about that you didn't have to worry about when you're in your 40s or 50s. So I would tell you, it would be in your best interest to find a fiduciary, someone that's going to work with you to help guide you through the rest of your financial life. It's a great question, Rita. Thank you for sending that one in to us. And you can always submit questions to the show by going to skyboxfinancialgroup.com and using the contact info on the page. Or you can always schedule a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Scott. We don't have to feature your question on the show. You can just get right to the heart of the matter and start exploring your financial plan with Scott by dialing 
888-742-0111. That's 888-742-0111. Or go to talktoscott.com and schedule a free consult right there on your computer or smartphone. That's talktoscott.com. And that contact info, again, is in the description of today's show. So it's easy on you there. Did, uh, did Scott have a good time on today's show? Scott really enjoys doing this podcast, Walter. So glad to hear that, and uh, I'm glad that Scott is pleased. It's uh, always fun to have him as part of the program, and we will be looking forward to another show with Scott coming up in the near future. Uh, For third-person version of Scott Searles today, I'm Walter Storholt. Hey, thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to talking to you on the next episode here on the Retirement Toolbox. Scott says go Guardians. Investment advisory services provided by Skybox Asset Management, LLC.